0: This evening's passage is First Peter 2, verses 13 through 17. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Good evening, welcome to Grace Downtown. My name is Jason and I'm the staff pastor here at Grace and we're so glad that you're with us tonight to worship with us. Uh, We are continuing in our series through the book of 1 Peter where we're talking about what a life looks like when we have a living hope. We believe here at Grace that the gospel is good news and we want to know that good news, believe that good news, and share that good news with other people. And 1 Peter is teaching us what it looks like to live as good news people and what it means to have a living hope because of what Christ has done for us. So tonight we're going to cover the passage that Andrew just read for us. Uh, Before we do that, though, I'm going to do a couple of things that we normally do at the end of the service, because we want to end uh, worshiping again through song uh, together here tonight. Uh, But I need to let you know how to get your food very important instructions. So um, you've come in a good night here at Grace Downtown. Monthly we do a meal uh, to be able to spend more time together and get to know one another uh, as a group of people and to welcome others in. And so tonight, uh, right after the service, we will transform this room into a place where we can eat. Tonight we are going to have some pizza. And so um, as soon as the service is over, uh, we need to kind of kick into gear here and change everything into a meal room. So what we're going to do is tear down this section of chairs over here and the far section over here. We'll roll some round tables out and set the middle uh, chairs around those tables. And um, go ahead and jump in line. We'll have a line right up here. Grab some pizza, grab some drinks and desserts over here, and grab a table. And um, enjoy just getting to know one another better and spending time together. So. That is your meal instructions for after the service. And we also want to thank you for your gospel partnership and stewarding your finances and Contributing towards what we are doing here at Grace Financially. That allows us to offer meals for free once a month and invite people to come in and have them invite people to come in. So, thank you for partnering with us financially for the sake of the gospel. One more thing that I want to remind you about is next week here at Grace Downtown, we are having a Sunday where the downtown specific staff, which is me, Bo, and Melissa, who are downtown uh, specifically focused, we are taking the week off uh next sunday so there's a few reasons we're doing that One, to further communicate to the church that it's not all about staff and things still happen without us. So you'll get to see that next week in Living Color. It's something we've been working on all year, uh, working towards where we can run a whole service without the three of us being here. So um, that's one reason. Another reason is to just thank them and give them some time off for their hard work, uh, week in and week out to make sure that things uh, go well here on Sunday nights. And also it's for the three of us and our families to spend some time together as we're going to go to brunch and, and hang out during that day as well. So uh, next week, you will not see the three of us. It will be led by some staff in North Liberty, some volunteers, and our lay elders, uh, Pastor Jeff and Pastor Joe. As we look at our scripture here tonight in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13-17, through 17, we're at a hinge point of the book of 1 Peter. To this point in the book of 1 Peter, Peter has spent a couple chapters telling us what it looks like to have a living hope. He wants to make sure the church knows what it means to be in Christ. So before we take a look at what the next few weeks are going to look like, we're going to do a quick review here of Pastor Josh's sermon from a couple weeks ago and also do a quick review of what Peter is trying to communicate in this book. So last week or two weeks ago, because last week we had Missions Sunday, two weeks ago, Pastor Josh opened up First Peter chapter two, and he walked us through a few verses that talk to us about what it means to know and believe the gospel. So in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, Peter writes: As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood and to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. In verse 9, we read, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Then in verse 11, he reminds them that they are sojourners and exiles, which is how the book starts. He says this is to the elect, those who are in Christ, and those who are exiles, who are now in a land that they were not born in. This is what Pastor Josh walked us through and walked us through what God is doing in us what God is building in his church, and the purpose behind it, that we would proclaim his excellencies, that our lives, that our church, that our ministry, that our very existence would be about who Christ is and what he has done for us. At the very beginning of 1 Peter, we found a good summary of the book of 1 Peter. If you look at 1 Peter uh, chapter 1, verse 3, We read, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy. For he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. There you see the language that this whole sermon series and this whole letter that Peter is writing is about. This is what he's trying to say to us. He's saying that because we have been born again, we have been born again into a living hope And we have been born again into that living hope through the resurrection of Jesus. Through the fact of the life, the death, the burial, the resurrection, the ascension of Jesus Christ. He goes on to say, because of the reality of what Christ did in the past and because of the future reality of our salvation, when we are once again reunited with our Savior, we can rejoice now. Right here, right now, in the midst of whatever we are going through, even if we are in exile, as the people reading this letter largely are. Over the next few weeks, we are going to be taking a look at what does a life that has a living hope look like? Especially in the next four weeks, this week and the three following, we're looking at some very specific life situations that the readers of this letter and we may find ourselves in, and Peter is going to be very explicit with us about what a living hope looks like. Would you pray with me? And we'll jump into the scripture. Heavenly Father, thank you for this opportunity to hear from you. God, thank you that you have not uh, been silent, but God, you have spoken to us. God, we uh, know that you have good news for us tonight. You have um, truth to tell us tonight. God, we pray that we would be ready to hear what you have to say. God, would you speak through your word, through your spirit, through your people? Would you speak to each one of us, God, what you would have for us tonight? And God, would we leave here changed and new because what, of what you have done for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know why they can't find the PowerPoint slides for my sermon? Because it's not there. It's on my computer. So, we're not going to worry about it. We're going to have the scripture in front of us and we're going to go off of that. So, if you would turn, if you haven't already, to 1 Peter chapter 2. Again, we're covering verses 13 through 17. Starting in verse 13. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. Now, we know what he is about to tell them, whether it be emperor or supreme or to governors, he's about to tell us that the people that we are subject to, the people that we are submitting ourselves to, are the governing authorities in our life. So we'll talk more about that in just a moment, who all he is talking about when he says that. But the first thing that we need to make note of is he says, be subject to these governing authorities for the Lord's sake. That's the purpose. That's what he wants them to do. He wants them to submit to these governing authorities, but the reason is because of the Lord's sake. It's for the Lord's namesake. It's to glorify him It's to live with a living hope. It's to show who we really fear. It's to glorify him that we're going to do this thing that Peter's about to tell us to do. And not just this thing, but the things that we're going to read in subsequent verses over the next four weeks of sermons. We get sideways in our political life. We get sideways in our work life. We get sideways in our married life. We get sideways in our single life. We get sideways in life itself when we forget that we are to be living it for the Lord's sake. If it is only for our sake, or even if our focus is only on making it good for other people, and we're not thinking about how to live unto the Lord's sake, then we're going to get off track. So we need to start there. Be subject for the Lord's sake. And then he tells us to every human institution. This is translated a number of different ways in different translations of the Bible. Uh, the, probably the most accurate translation of the original Greek that it was written in is be subject to every creaturely institution. Creaturely. The word human or the word person doesn't quite capture what Peter's trying to say in the original Greek, and the best word we have for it is creaturely institutions. That's because Peter wants to tell us that the institutions that we are submitting ourselves to are developed and made and led by fellow creatures. He's pointing to God as the creator of all things. He's saying God created everything. God created you. God created your governing authorities, and God is the creator. So he's, from the very beginning here, saying that we are to live our lives unto the Lord's sake and that we are to submit ourselves to these creaturely institutions. Peter's reminding us that we have a creator and that he's in control and that he made all things. God is sovereign over us, over those things, over these creaturely human institutions and over these politicians that he is going to talk about in just a moment. In the book of Romans, Paul says something similar when he says, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. So Paul takes it a step further and said those humanly, those creaturely institutions, ultimately they are under the authority of God. Let's continue on in the second half of verse 13 as well as verse 14. Whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. So he does two things here. He tells us what kind of governing authorities he's talking about, what these creaturely institutions look like, and he's telling us something that we should do in order to submit ourselves to them, okay, and to God. The first thing he tells us is there's three kinds of political institutions or governors that he's talking about here. He is talking about alien governments, national governments, and local governments, so first, he's talking about submitting ourselves to these human institutions that are put in place when we are in exile or when we're even in a country that is not our own. That's the first thing that he's talking about. So we submit ourselves to the governing authorities even when it is not our home country. That's one thing he's saying. Then he's saying national leaders, people that are national leaders. And then he is talking about local local leaders as well. So this is really pretty all-encompassing. He's telling us this is not just to the emperor. This is not just to a king, if you have a king. This is not just to your local politicians. This is saying every human institution. The next thing he's telling us in verse 14 is something that we don't want to hear. That sometimes governments do praiseworthy things Sometimes politicians do praiseworthy things, and when they do, we should be thankful. And we should see that they're carrying out the will of God when they do those things. It says here that sometimes they punish those who do evil, and sometimes they praise those who do good. And we should be able to look at that and be thankful that sometimes these humanly institutions carry out things that are praiseworthy, and we should praise them. We should ultimately praise God, but we should praise these humanly institutions and these human governors for the things that they are doing to carry out the will of God. As I said, we don't like to hear this. We're also not very good at it. It's one of the big problems we have right now in our culture is our inability to say that something is good or praiseworthy— when we see it done, or to criticize someone that's quote-unquote on our side. It's a huge problem when it comes to our political ideologies and what we say and what we think about politics. We have grown more and more divided, and we are unable to think critically about what our side or the other side, if we have sides in politics, are doing. Peter here is saying we can praise when governments do well, when we understand that they're under the authority of God. And sometimes God calls them to do things and they carry out godly things. Verse 15. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. It is very challenging especially in our very divided times, to know what is the will of God when it comes to our politics. Peter is going to give us a couple things here in verses 15 and 17. We'll just take this right here in verse 15. He says, the will of God is that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Doing good silences ignorance. That's what he's saying. We just read about this in verse 12. Look back with me at chapter 2, verse 12. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. He's saying live such good lives no matter what political system you're under, no matter what your circumstances are, no matter if your guys in the White House or not, You live such good lives that in the end it can't be denied that you are living the right kind of life. It takes trust in the Lord to live this way, to operate from a place of humility. To operate from a place of trust in the Lord, to operate in a a way that silences foolish people, it takes a great trust in the Lord. But that's what Peter is calling us to. He's calling us to have a living hope, and a living hope actively trusts in God, even when we don't like what's going on politically or otherwise in our country. We have to trust that God is involved in history. God is involved in politics. God is involved in government. And we need to show that we have a living hope. Verse 16: Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. What does he mean here by live as free people? This is one of those things where we need to be careful about the context and we need to be careful about application. Peter was writing to them and saying one thing, so first we have to see that, but then there's actually two applications if you're an American Christian. Okay, so there's one application for his first audience, there's two applications for an American Christian, I'll tell you what I mean here in just a minute. First, we need to see that the people he is writing to are not free. Politically, they are not free. They are exiles. They are marginalized. They are under the thumb of not only the Roman Empire, but most likely, because of when this is written, one of the worst and most ruthless emperors that the Roman Empire ever saw. They are not politically free. They are not free to just do whatever they want politically or religiously or when it comes to corporate worship. They are not free politically. So what does he mean when he says live as people who are free? He must be talking about another freedom. He is talking to them about the freedom that they have in Christ. They've been set free from their slavery to sin. That's what Peter is telling them. Live as free people. You are free. No matter what your political situation is, no matter what your human situation is, you have been set free from your sins and you're not a slave to your sin. In Romans chapter 6, verse 18, it says, you are no longer a slave to sin, but now you are a slave to righteousness. You've been set free from the flesh, you've been set free from the world and the devil. You've been set free from being addicted to the things of the flesh. He says, "Live as free people." And then he says, "They are servants or bond slaves of God." They can live as free people because they are now bond servants of God. What Peter wants them to know is only those who are servants of God can truly be free. When we are in Christ, when we have been born again to a living hope, we trade out a bad master, the world, the flesh, the devil, sin, death. We trade that out for the perfect master, our heavenly father, the one who created us. In fact, John Calvin said it this way, to be a Christian is to change masters. That's what he's pointing them to. So first and foremost, we need to think through that application. What does it mean to be free of our sin? And what does it mean to use our freedom instead of to indulge the flesh, but to feed the spirit and to live out life in the spirit, to live out that living hope? So the first application we need to think through is the same one he wants them to think out. What does it look like to be free from your sin, no matter what your situation is? But then, by the grace of God, we have a second application. If you are an American and you are a Christian, or if you are an American citizen, or if you full-time live in America, you have another freedom. You have religious liberty. You have a representative democracy. You have opportunities to worship God and you have opportunities to serve others. And I think an appropriate application of this for us, a modern day audience, is don't use that freedom to indulge the flesh. Don't use that freedom to indulge the flesh. One way that we have used that freedom to indulge the flesh as Americans is we have idolized our freedom. And I really wish I would have put the PowerPoint in the Google Drive right now because I have two great pictures for you. You're just going to have to visualize them. And I'll just take the next 20 minutes describing the pictures to you. I'm just kidding. We have used the freedom that we have to indulge the flesh by idolizing our freedom. Okay, so first, our freedom is a good thing. Please hear me say that. It is in amazing, beautiful thing that we can gather here right now with no threat of being arrested because I'm preaching about the name of Jesus. It is a great thing that we have a representative democracy. It is a great thing that we are free to share our faith here on a college campus. I preached the gospel Thursday night at the IMU. That's incredible. We we are so blessed to have the liberties and the freedoms that we have but what God's word is saying is don't idolize that freedom. Two examples for how we have done this in our country. One is, have you seen the giant wooden nickel on Dubuque Street? I've, I have a great picture of it. You've got to believe me. I got a great picture of it. There's the world's largest buffalo wooden nickel. This thing is huge. I don't know. I'm terrible at estimating, but it is Huge. It is like the size of a house, the height of a house. It is between Iowa City and North Liberty, and it is a giant wooden nickel. And on that wooden nickel, it has the, the giant buffalo on there, and then it says, don't tread on me. It says, don't tread on me. Read a little bit about the history of why that was put up. The owner of the property put that up to protest because the city wanted to pave a road that he did not want paved. So we set up this giant thing and multiple times throughout the years I have seen people stopped on the side of the road to take pictures of this huge incredible wooden nickel. On it it says don't tread on me. It's a phrase that many political groups and institutions have used over the years but it's built into kind of the psyche of us as Americans of just don't tread on me, give me my liberty, give me my freedom. Another example of this is in the Lincoln Memorial in Washington, D.C., where you've probably seen the giant statue, the over life size statue of Abraham Lincoln. Behind him, on the wall of the Lincoln Memorial, there is um, a statement of why they built this statue of Abraham Lincoln. And that statement starts in this temple, in this temple we celebrate the man who brought freedom to the slaves and unity to our country in this temple. That's religious language. Whoever built that and whoever decided on that wording is really saying that Abraham Lincoln and the idea of freedom is something to be Worship. They want to memorialize what he has done because we idolize the idea of freedom. We have an opportunity to be set free from our sin and also to use our freedom for the benefit of others. Dallas Willard puts it this way when talking about using our freedom, our political freedoms. He says we should use our freedom to bear witness to and lobby for the sake of our neighbor. Verse 17. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, and honor the emperor. It sounded more authoritative when Andrew read it, I'm sorry. Still a great verse. This is the great commandment to love our neighbor in the words of Peter. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. First, we are to fear God again. We do all of this for the Lord's sake And we are to fear him. This is a theme that Peter is going to go back to in chapter 3, verse 6. In chapter 3, verse 14, he is going to tell us, don't fear man, fear God. Don't fear man, fear God. Fear God, trust God. It is the key to our politics. It is the key to our work life. It is the key to our married life. It is the key to our singleness, to fear God and do all things for his sake. Note here also that it says to fear God and honor the emperor. Fear God and honor the emperor. It does not say fear the emperor. It says give ultimate reverence to God. Honor everyone. That means honor everyone. All people. No excuses. Not people that vote like you. Not people that look like you. Not people that think like you about politics. Honor everyone. Then specifically love the brotherhood, those that are in Christ as well. Fear God. Give honor to the emperor. Imagine our politics if we did this. Imagine what the world would look like if Christians did this when it comes to our politics and our public discourse. The disciples had to do this. The disciples did not agree politically. Their background was not in the same politics. Jesus held them together, and ultimately, at the end of the day, they had to honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, and honor the emperor together. Peter says some things this week and in the weeks coming up that are very difficult. We need to make sure we understand how to do context well. Something, a danger that we could run into with the next four sermons and the next four passages are we could over contextualize or we could not contextualize. Here's what that looks like. When we overly contextualize, we say, well, because Peter said this, because scripture said this, we just pull that out and we do exactly that here today where we find ourselves. Can't do that. He's writing to people in a particular context and we have to take that into note. The other end of things though is to completely ignore the context of what's going on. We can't overly contextualize. We can't not contextualize at all we have to do some work here so how would these original hearers have heard what peter is saying here tonight first they're exiles they're sojourners they're aliens that are away from wherever they've they're from whether they've been pushed out whether they've left by choice they are not where they are originally from they have never been free politically They will never be free politically. Not only so, but this emperor that Peter says to honor in an imperative, active fashion puts Peter and many of his readers to death. The words he's saying are very hard to his original audience. He says to them, honor the man who would eventually put him to death. These words that he's saying to this original audience are very hard to do. It is also hard for us to do, but it's for different reasons. When we idolize our freedom, when we use our freedom to indulge the flesh, when we get verse 17 all mixed up, when we go the way of the flesh and the way of the world, when we think about politics, when we talk about politics, we get sideways quick. We need help. We need a living hope. And Jesus is our example Jesus lived in an unjust system. Jesus refused to live according to man's rules, yet he refused, when on trial, to defend himself. Jesus, the one who every knee should bow to, and in the end of eternity will bow to, that humanity said crucify him. The very ones he came to say, save said, "Crucify him." He was treated unjustly, unfairly, yet he refused to defend himself. Next week, we'll take a look at this verse more in depth. But in First Peter chapter two, verse twenty-three, it says, "When he, meaning Jesus, was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten." but he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Jesus is our ultimate example of what it looks like to have a living hope. He submitted himself to the Father. He feared God above all man, and he faced grave injustice. In the end, the only one happy with Jesus was the Father. That's our example. So briefly here, what are the implications of this text? What are the implications for our life right here, right now, in light of what we've learned tonight? Number one, submit yourself to God. We first need to submit ourselves to God. Fear God. Put ourselves under his leadership, his authority, his rule. Realize that he is in control of every human institution and submit ourselves and our lives to him. Next, number two. I'm gonna mix my metaphors here. Peter did it first, so it's okay. We need to gird up the loins of our politics. There we go. There's my mixed metaphor. Peter did that earlier when he said gird up the loins of your mind. Remember what he talked about there? In our mind, we need to think sober-mindedly. We need to submit our minds to God. We need to think carefully about things. I submit to you that we need to do the same with our politics. We need to think long and hard and biblically and wisely and in a spirit-led way. After we've submitted ourselves to God, we need to think carefully about our politics a few ways we can do that, not putting our hope in politics or politicians, that's not how the kingdom is coming, folks. We need to think carefully about our politics. We need to think carefully about how we vote. We need to think carefully about how our government system actually works, not how the news channels say it works or how popular opinion thinks it works. We need to think carefully about the difference between local and national politics. We need to think through these things and be influenced more by the Holy Spirit and the word than the news or social media. We need to seek wisdom from older believers that are wrestling with these things too. Guys, we are not in simple times. Politics are just ripe for division and hurt and anger and divisiveness. But we came in here if you are in Christ, we came in here united in one family because of Christ and we can leave here the same way even if we vote differently or think differently about politics. Christians should be the ones that are able to have these conversations in a civil and helpful way. Seek the wisdom of other believers. Number three, we need to obey 1 Peter 2 verse 17. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, and honor the emperor. What does that look like in your life? These statements, these four statements in verse 17, are imperative, active verbs. Peter is saying you must do them in order to obey God, and it's active. You actively do these things. Number four, get involved. Use your freedom that you have in this country to serve others get involved get involved with the political process get involved in knowing what local state national politicians are doing and saying think carefully through these issues use your freedom for others i was lamenting to a friend here at Grace Downtown a few years ago that i felt politically homeless because i was seeing all these things going on in politics i'm like man all these folks are crazy And both sides are crazy. All sides are crazy. All politicians are crazy. Their followers are crazy. I don't want to be a part of any of this. I'm politically homeless. And this sister here at Grace Downtown said, I understand what you're saying, but is that how you love your neighbor? It just made me think. You know what, friends? I haven't had this grand revelation since then of exactly how I should vote or think about politics because of that, but it made me think that it's not just about me, that I should use my freedom to love and serve my neighbor. Whatever that looks like for us, that's what we're called to. And lastly, we need to obey scripture by praying for our political leaders, all of them. 1 Timothy 2, verses 1 through 4. First of all, then I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good and is pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. We pray for the salvation, the wisdom, and the protection of all of our leaders because God asks us to. And it really changes your posture towards people in authority when you pray for them. This is what we're called to as believers. This is what a living hope looks like when it comes to thinking about politics. The most important thing for us to hear tonight, the most important thing for us to celebrate tonight is what Christ has done for us. That no matter our politics, no matter our human situation, no matter our suffering, no matter where we find ourselves, no matter who's in power, even if tomorrow they are to say that Christianity is illegal in Iowa City, we serve a good king that has given his very life for us. We serve a king who is just, we serve a king who rules not just for a little while, but for all time. His kingdom will have no end. He will never be throned. He, dethroned. He will never be outvoted. He will never be removed from office. We serve a good, just, eternal king who sits on a throne of grace and love and mercy and power, and he is calling us to worship him with our very Lives. What a privilege, what a freedom, what an opportunity that we have.